0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined. Last week, the Supreme Court threw out a Republican-led challenge to the Affordable Care Act, making it the third time the Obama-era health care law has been upheld by the highest court. Broad provisions of the law were left in place in the 7-2 vote. So the question is, does this mean the future of the ACA is secure, at least for the foreseeable future. And if there are going to be more challenges, what kinds of challenges will they be? And is this a court, because of its makeup, that in the future might be a little more open to the idea of reforming the reforms that the ACA brought to all of us? Here to talk about the implications of this decision is someone who knows an awful lot about this topic. Julie Rovner is Kaiser Health News Chief Washington Correspondent and she has covered healthcare for more than 30 years and of course has covered the ACA since it was passed in 2009. Julie Rovner, welcome to Detroit today.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Yeah. So, uh, for those of us who don't necessarily closely follow all of these challenges, Back up and give us just a little background on this particular challenge, uh, what it was, and why the court rebuffed it.
1: So in 2017, Congress, the Republican Congress and President Trump tried to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. John McCain famously put his thumb down and sort of ended that effort. So now it's the end of 2017 and Republicans have not been able to do what they most wanted to in health care. So they turned to taxes and they did this big tax bill. And as part of that tax bill, they couldn't get rid of the Affordable Care Act, but they zeroed out the penalty for not having insurance. Remember, it used to say either you have to prove that you have insurance or you have to pay this tax penalty that, you know, varied According to your income. Um, and they made that tax penalty zero. So this is the beginning of 2018, a bunch of Republican, mostly attorneys general, a couple of governors, filed a lawsuit and said, you know, back in 2012, when the Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act, they said that it was constitutional because that penalty was a tax. Um, Well, now you've taken the tax away. The penalty is zero. Therefore, the entire law is unconstitutional. Now, very few legal scholars on any side of this issue thought that was a very strong case. But they found a judge in Texas who said, oh, yeah, you're right. The whole law has to go. And then they went to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals who said, maybe the whole law doesn't have to go. But yeah, there's a problem here. And the Trump administration at that point has joined the Republicans in trying to strike down the whole law. So a group of Democratic attorneys general says, this is a silly case. And they went straight to the Supreme Court and said, you really should hear this now. And the Supreme Court said, yes. Um, And that's how we ended up with this Supreme Court case. And in the end, the Supreme Court didn't even rule on the merits of the case. Mm-hmm. They said that the states actually didn't have standing to bring this case because they were not harmed by the fact that the penalty has been made zero. And that's the first threshold you have to get over in order to file a lawsuit. So therefore, as you as you correctly said, they threw the case out. That's sort of how we got to where we are today.
0: And And so this is the third time that this court has effectively defended the Affordable Care Act against challenges brought by, uh, brought by Republicans against it. Is it fair uh, to, to now start calling, calling this maybe the Roberts Law uh, as opposed to an Obama-era law? I mean, John Roberts, uh, who's the chief justice, has been there the whole time. Uh, And he's been key to some of these uh, to some of these rulings here. It's a seven. It's a seven two vote. Not very, not very close. Uh, But but I think there is something about the idea that a Republican led court, quote unquote, has been unwilling to indulge Republican challenges to this very Democratic reform.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think that's true. And I think what's fair to say is that, If the Supreme Court, even in 2012, before most of the law had taken effect, if the Supreme Court had struck down the entire thing, it would have created chaos in the nation's health system. Obviously today, it would be even worse because the law, you know, we think about the law as just the people who buy their own insurance on the marketplace and people who get expanded Medicaid, but it's much larger than that. It, touched, it touches almost every piece of the healthcare system. And if the Supreme Court were to say, yeah, the whole law has to go, it would really turn the nation's health system kind of upside down. And Roberts knows that. And he's been in the majority in all three of these cases um, because I think he knows what the, you know, the consequences would be if they struck it down. Now, that's not to say that this court has not tinkered with the Affordable Care Act. They said in that original case in 2012 that the Medicaid expansion should be optional. Michigan was one of the states that was later to come to that expansion, and we still have a dozen states that haven't expanded at all. And we've had continuing litigation over the birth control and abortion-related pieces of the law, um, which may well continue. Hmm.
0: So so the flip side of this, of course, is that uh, GOP legislators have tried several times to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. They've voted a number of times to try to overturn it. Uh, Of course, uh, President Obama would not sign those laws, uh, or the House, the the GOP House, uh, was doing that um, even when uh, the Democrats still controlled the Senate. Um, You know, what's, what's next, though? This is a political strategy, and it is designed, of course, to cast doubt on the effectiveness of the ACA and to suggest that, that we could do better, not that we've seen anything in terms of a comprehensive plan from uh, the GOP that, that would work uh, substantially better or even even differently. Uh, is this the end, though, of that, the, that strategy paying off for them? In other words, I- is there likely to be more challenge uh, or is this kind of slamming the door on the idea that you could that you could get rid of this and bring something else into existence that would uh, that would work radically differently
1: well, of course, the Republicans, you know, the dirty little secret is Republicans have never agreed on what that replace would look like right. with repeal and replace. They are, uh, the De- we should point out the Democrats also disagree on, you know, what to do next, whether to expand the Affordable Care Act further, whether to go to a Medicare for all, whether to create a public option. So there's a lot of disagreement about health care within the Democratic Party. But the Republicans are just as divided uh about really the role of government in health care. So the Republicans, you know, in some ways that the worst possible outcome of this court case would have been if the Supreme Court had agreed with the Republican states, um, because the Republicans have no idea what it is they would put in place of the Affordable Care Act. But there are already, you know, there's another challenge moving its way up, not to the entire law, but to the, um, to the free preventive care part of the Affordable Care Act. Um, there's a case that's back before the same judge that struck down the the entire law or tried to strike down the entire law um, in 2018. So I think we'll continue to see some sort of, you know, strategic pieces uh, challenged for Republicans to try to sort of make political hay. But I don't know that we'll see another challenge to the entire law, which is not to say it isn't possible. Somebody may think of something, but um, there isn't anything on the horizon. Mm.
0: I'm talking with Julie Roffner. She is the Kaiser Health News Chief Washington Correspondent. She's covered health care for more than 30 years and has covered the Affordable Care Act since it was passed by Congress in 2009, signed into law by President Barack Obama in 2010. We're talking about the latest U.S. Supreme Court ruling with regard to the ACA. The court last week rebuffed yet another challenge to the law's existence led by uh, GOP uh, challengers uh, against the Affordable Care Act. If if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and let us know if you think the ACA is here to stay. Uh, Do you have health insurance through the ACA marketplace? Talk about how your insurance has changed over the last decade as we've gotten used to life under the Affordable Care Act. Is it better for you? Is it worse? Is it easy to navigate or do you find it confusing? Uh, give us a call. Talk about your premiums. Uh, a lot of people have experienced higher premiums as a result of the ACA. Uh, are you somebody who is worried about uh, how much you have to pay for health care uh, right now? Also, give us a call and let us know if you think the ACA shouldn't be the final word on health care reform in this country. Of course, in the Democratic Party, on the far left of the party, there are a lot of people who are saying we got to go much, much further than the ACA does uh, to change health care in, uh, in this country. A lot of people talking about single payer systems, uh, Medi- Medicare for all, those kinds of programs. Uh, what do you think of those and what do you think is likely to happen uh, as we get probably past this initial period of constant challenge of the ACA and transition to a period in which we probably will need to think uh, more con- concretely about uh, reforms, specific kinds of uh, changes to the ACA to make it work better. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and uh, and put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Julie, I want to talk about uh, the, the state of the ACA right now. Uh, there are lots of things that are working inefficiently or not working with the ACA. And one of the things that has been, I think, frustrating for a lot of people about these constant challenges is it's it's often distracted us from the, the bigger conversations about how to make the ACA actually, actually work better. Where are we with all of that? We have not heard a lot from the Biden administration so far about this uh, being uh, a real priority in their early uh, agenda, but I would imagine that there's a lot of pressure uh, on on them to, to to fix some of these things now that they do have control of both houses of con- Congress and uh, the White House. So so catch us up on on where we are. What what still is hanging out there that needs attention?
1: Well, actually, there have been some you know, big changes to the ACA. Remember, Mm -hmm. you know, Joe Biden rather famously was a big backer of the Affordable Care Act as the uh, as the vice president worked very hard to get it over the finish line. Congress in the COVID relief bill that passed in March included some dramatically expanded subsidies Mm -hmm. for people who buy coverage through the Affordable Care Act, both at the very high end. You know, it used to be there was this cutoff at four times the poverty level, which was about one hundred thousand dollars for a family of four. And and if you earn just a little bit too much, you got no help. That's changed. That's gone. And there's more help at the bottom end for subsidies. Um, people, Most people can buy a plan for under $10 a month. Um, uh, the uh, open enrollment was reopened, and it's still open now. It's open until August 15th. Um, there are some really good deals to be had, partly as a result of that, partly as a result of the Biden administration restoring uh, some of the funding for navigators and outreach. I know during the NCAA basketball tournament, there were a lot of ads for healthcare.gov. We now have 31 people who are currently covered uh, directly through the Affordable Care Act. Um, That 31 million people is the largest in the history of the law. So the law is actually working better than it ever has. Over the past few years, we've seen some of the insurers who left the market, come back into the market. Mm-hmm. So actually, the, the law is, you know, partly due to what the Biden administration has done, partly due to obviously the dislocation from COVID and people losing jobs and needing, you know, to find some other alternate form of insurance. The the law is in a better place than it has been since it passed. And the Democrats right now, these expanded subsidies are temporary. They're just for this year and next year. Mm-hmm. The Democrats are working to make that permanent. Mm.
0: Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. So you can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the show that way. Let's start with Jack in Northville. Jack, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
2: Okay, so uh, just uh, I tuned in to your show here, uh, you know, just momentarily, and and uh, I heard uh, requesting comments. Uh I've been experienced in the health insurance industry for over 30 years and uh, to be able to see where we came from and where we are now mm-hmm. and where we are going to, we're on a path to socialized medical insurance and that's, you
3: know,
2: in the tradition of the rest of the world, we were the the center of innovation uh, primarily, you know, driven by the, the economics of private uh, health sector mm-hmm. and, Uh, We are now in a mode where the inevitable uh, socialized health care will result in escalations of premium. As we constantly increase the the, uh, benefits and extend the subsidies, it will reach a point of unaffordability when it's truly a single payer system, when it's truly uh, Medicare for all or whatever the inevitable conclusion of this is. It will then result in a collapse of benefit levels. So people who are uh, employed through corporations and have uh, nice uh, large-scale plans that that cross multiple states, Hmm. uh, it it would then become more of a a, uh, what-can-we-afford kind of benefit basis. Uh, Government has a tendency to consume way too much in overhead the administration of healthcare, hmm. and that will result in a diminishing benefit level for so, the
0: people involved. So, 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 uh, Jack, that's a really uh, it's a really interesting argument. I'm not sure I agree with uh, every part of it, but but I wonder. Uh, you, you say that you've had 30 years of experience in in the health insurance industry. Would 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 you want to offer a, I guess, a different vision that you think would make things? better than than the direction we're headed with the ACA?
2: Uh, sure. Uh, when ACA came into uh, effect, uh, it, it was a radical change from uh, the existing platforms. Certainly, there were uh, you know, criticisms that were valid. There were also uh, criticisms that, that were probably over overemphasized. But uh, largely, the elimination of people based on pre-existing conditions is uh, something that Uh, can fall in either category, you don't have to go socialized medicine to be able to do that. In fact, if government were to focus their attention more on making sure that there was health care available to people who might not uh, be underwritten Mm -hmm. uh, to achieve a better uh, benefit and premium ratio, uh, that would be probably where government's involvement would be best served this is the way it was in some states, but not all states uh, prior to ACA, mm-hmm. and it worked well in those states when, when government can subsidize. I mean, Medicaid right. is, is the extreme limit of that, but there were many states that offered plans for the uninsurable. The hmm. uh, government focused on that; that would be better for everyone.
0: Yeah, uh, Jack, I, I I really appreciate the call and uh, the thoughtful insights there. And again, I mean, I don't I don't agree with everything you're talking about here, but I, but it's obvious that you've given a lot of thought to it. Um, uh, Julia, I'd love to have you react to what uh, what Jack is talking about here.
1: Well, I, I covered a lot of those. They were called high-risk pools for, prior to the Affordable Care Act for people who basically could not get insurance because they had pre-existing conditions. And they didn't actually work that well. There was one in Florida that had been closed for, to new entrants for like 15 years. And there were others that were open, but you couldn't get coverage for the thing that made you uninsurable. So I did a story about a woman with cancer who was able to get insurance through the high-risk pool in her state, but she could, it didn't cover her cancer care. Mm-hmm. So that was not a great solution. Now, I agree that you know allowing everybody to buy insurance, uh, including sick people, does run up everybody else's premiums. That's why the government has the subsidies. And you know the Affordable Care Act is a very is sort of a complex answer to that. Um, and it's not you know it's it's not the cleanest, most understandable way to do it. Mm-hmm. But as we pointed out earlier, nobody has really a better idea yet for how to do it. Democrats would obviously like to have more government. Republicans would like to have less government. There's probably some in between um, that that would do it. But I think I think even Republicans and you know, rather sort of in their heart of hearts, don't really want to go back to what it was before the Affordable Care Act. To um, that's why you keep hearing them say, "Oh, well, whatever we do, we're going to protect people with pre-existing conditions." Mm-hmm. So it's still, you know, nobody has sort of solved the healthcare conundrum. Um, it's healthcare is getting increasingly expensive. That's to so. Su- a small piece of that is due to the affordable care act for some people but in general healthcare is getting much more expensive because people who like to make money and not necessarily healthcare people who like to make money are moving into healthcare because that's where the money is so we're seeing a lot of increasing costs in healthcare because hedge funds and investment groups are getting into healthcare and that's a continuing problem
0: hmm. so so his argument though about sapping the innovation Uh, spirit of innovation that is you know a part of the the medical industry in our in our country if you move too closely or move too far to a a more socialized uh, medicine model do do, do we believe that would happen or does that necessarily have to work that way
1: well that's been the argument all along. i mean particularly in drug prices which is sort of the big fight that's going on now that the drug companies if they can't you know make Lots and lots and lots of money, then they're not going to pour the money into R and D, and that the money that I was just talking about, the people who are investing, you know, may will may go somewhere else where they think they can get a better return. So that's sort of the trade off is sort of innovation versus affordability, and one would presume that there is a balance there that could be found, but we haven't found it yet.
0: Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Julie Robner about the Affordable Care Act. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. Want to join the conversation? 313-577-1019 is the number here. You can go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there and we'll include you in the show that way. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. To trade today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, my guest is Julie Rovner. She's Kaiser Health News Chief Washington Correspondent. She has covered health care for more than 30 years and has covered the Affordable Care Act since its inception a little more than a decade ago. We're talking about the latest su- Supreme Court ruling, which affirms the existence of the ACA and uh, what the future looks like, what kinds of reforms we still might need or want to make healthcare work better uh, in this country. We want to hear from you as well. What do you think of the ACA right now? What do you think of health reform overall? Uh, are we headed toward a more dramatic remake of medicine in this country? And is that something you think we should do? Uh, also give us a call and let us know what your experience has been with the ACA. What do your premiums look like? Uh, what is your access look like. Are those things better or are they worse um, since the ACA was uh, put into place? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And you can go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there and we will include you that way. Let's go to Bob in Chesterfield Township. Bob, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I would like to, uh, first of all, you're one of the best shows on the radio. Uh, oh,
0: thank I,
4: you. I want to talk starting with my experience uh, at one time my company transferred to Europe I spent five years there and I experienced socialized medicine up close and first uh, my daughter was born there I suffered a serious injury while, while I was there and it was it was excellent coming at it from the other side uh, I'm now in a position like many people where I can do a significant amount of money to charity. And what I do is I call it giving with an attitude. It's like, do what makes you happy, what suits your values. And for me, everything I do is directed at uh, Detroit proper and Hamtramck, including my charitable trust. A number of years ago, I was living in Houston, and there was an excellent uh, radio host named Leo Gold on Pacifica Radio. Mm. He made the statement that our medical system is for profit and inefficient so why would i want to make any donations for anything for profit and inefficient and so anything medical is completely off my list and my comment would be there are so many of us who want socialized medicine and to strengthen the aca hmm. if every person wants that were to direct their charity away from anything medical, we'd get it in no time. And that's from the little guy who gives $25 to uh, the American Cancer Society or the big shot who's going to be saying, you know, I don't think I'm going to pay to build that new wing of the hospital. Hmm. We would have it immediately. So, so for taking my call. So,
0: so, Bob, I, I, yeah. I'm a little curious about, a little more curious about your experience with Medicine in in Europe. Can you can you uh, you said that you had uh, several occasions to have to interact with the, the 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 medical system in in Europe. Can you give us a sense of how satisfied you were with, with that, and whether you thought it was superior to what you would have experienced here?
4: In some ways, it was better. In some ways, maybe a, a little worse. Like the com- country I was in was very hesitant to provide provide uh, painkillers. At the other side, uh, I was in an accident. I lost sight in one eye. Uh, I was in the hospital for nine days. When I came back from uh, Germany, uh, I saw a specialist for a second opinion to continue my treatment, and I said, I was in the hospital nine days. She said, "Uh, we might have kept you overnight. When my daughter was born, she was jauntous. They did not kick my wife out of the hospital right away. They were there for five or six days until things were stabilized. So those are the cha- things I've seen. The quality of the uh, physicians' facilities and care was on par or, like I said, a little better or a little worse than what you get uh, the states, depending on what aspect.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, I, I really appreciate uh you calling and, and sharing that experience. I mean, I think that kind of experience is really, really key to understanding the differences between socialized medicine, quote unquote, and and, and what we have here. Julie Rovner, I wonder if you can uh, react to what Bob is talking about.
1: Yeah, well, it, it's important to say that, you know, all the European countries have different healthcare systems. Yes. They're they're not, I mean, I think we think of England as sort of the traditional, what we talk about as socialized medicine where the doctors and the hospitals are all part of the national health service. But in Germany, they have, you know, they have mandatory taxes and they have, you know, everybody has health insurance, but it's done through, it's, a, it's sort of a joint public private effort. It's, it's more regulated than we have here in the United States. Um, and it's, you know, they've had it for a long time and it's a very efficient system. And um, yes, I, I they do tend to keep people in the hospital longer. That's, I think, more of a cultural thing than the the health system thing. That's sort of one of the quirks of of the German health system. But, you know, Germany is different from France is different, different from the Netherlands is different from Spain. They're all quite a bit different from each other. I actually spent some time in Switzerland where they have a system that's a whole lot like the Affordable Care Act. In fact, that's what the Affordable Care Act was based on. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a mandatory, you know, private insurance and you had different levels that you could choose from. Um, and there were subsidies for people who couldn't otherwise afford it, but it's basically a private system. Um, you know, it's, it's a joint private government system. And And there are a lot of big drug companies in Switzerland who seem to do okay with innovation. So Mm. but on the other hand, Switzerland's the most expensive health system in Europe. So this is the continuing fight about is public or private more efficient and more cost effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, Bob, really appreciate the, uh, the call. Let's go to Francis on the east side. Francis, what's on your mind?
3: The uh, problem that I I see a lot of young families facing is that they don't really make a lot of money. They're trying to pay their, um, the student loans off, Mm -hmm. Um, and then on top of it, the company that they work for full-time isn't paying um, the entire cost of of medical insurance, Mm -hmm. but then again, They have a poor uh, insurance, medical insurance that they're covered by, supposedly, because you're still paying high premiums. And then when you have an accident or you you happen to have a child, it runs into tremendous amounts of, of money. And they want their money and they want it within a certain amount of time. So I'm not finding so much of a problem with... Um, The drug, the cost of drugs, rather, it's it's going to your doctor, going to specialists, Mm
0: -hmm. which
3: is supposed to be covered by um, the medical insurance. Mm -hmm. Medical insurance is far too high. And especially I find that to be problematic for those that are, are retired. Yeah. They just don't cover a lot of things,
0: uh, Francis. Um, they uh, they fight it. Yeah, Francis. The insurance I insurance companies fight it. I I, I really appreciate uh, that perspective, and and I think most people who have insurance through their employers are experiencing something like that. Uh, uh, Julie, you know, if I look at my own insurance now versus when. The Affordable Care Act started. Uh, I'm paying more, and they are covering less. Uh, that that does seem to be a trend that that's affecting a lot of a lot of people. Of course, that is design. It's part of the design. I know to help subsidize uh, people uh, who who don't have you know money to pay for the care. But overall, uh, that makes that makes it not a particularly uh, popular uh, feature, I guess, in in my household and I guess in lots of other people's as well.
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. I mean, if you buy your own insurance, your premiums have probably gone up. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, a trend sort of across the healthcare system of these rising deductibles. And this is a big, big problem. Mm-hmm. People with multi-thousand dollar deductibles who basically only have catastrophic insurance at this point, even though that was not what they thought they were signed up for, that they have to, you know, they're responsible for five or $6,000, which as the caller points out, most people don't have sitting around and, you know, healthcare, you know, some healthcare is elective, but a lot of healthcare is not elective um, and a lot of it isn't covered. And that's a big problem. And that's not an Affordable Care Act problem. That's a rising health costs problem. Employers are trying to, you know, they're, they're loading more of the premium and increasing deductibles to try to keep their their costs in check because the cost of healthcare is rising so fast. That's not part of subsidizing the people who can't afford it. That's just part of a fifth of our economy now goes
0: to healthcare. Mm. Uh, Graham on Twitter asks whether anyone knows what happened to Biden's campaign promise to pursue a public option. Of course, the public option was one of the things that uh, that was hotly debated. While the ACA was being formed, Biden did say that he'd like to bring that back as, as a piece of health care if he was elected. Is that, is that still on the agenda, Julie?
1: It is still on the agenda. Um, The Democrats are trying to decide if they have to, you know, it's difficult to do anything in a 50-50 Senate when, you know, Joe Manchin is the deciding vote. Mm -hmm. Joe Manchin is not in favor of a public option. Um, They're going to try to press Joe Manchin as hard as he can to see what he is in favor of. I think the first order of business is making these subsidies permanent. There's a lot of talk about expanding Medicare, um, either lowering the eligibility age from 65 to 60 and or adding some benefits that Medicare doesn't cover, but that seniors really need like vision coverage and and hearing aid coverage and dental coverage. So those are sort of the the top agenda items. But yes, the public option is still in there if they could get the votes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to David in East Point. David, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Uh, big fan of your show. Thank you.
5: Um, I did want to mention earlier that, uh, that if the government uh, got involved more, that, that, that the overhead will be higher. And our current experience with Medicare is that it's not. Hmm. Uh, the Medicare uh, figures I've seen, i work worked, okay, in the background, or 23 years as a paramedic in, in around the city of Detroit and you know, in the underserved communities, and it's been 10 years working for the largest uh, uh, private health insurance company in, in the country. And that the, the Medicare system is not uh, has higher overhead. Uh, so that's uh, uh, that the fact that Medicare for all would be more expensive overhead wise, I believe is is, that, is just absolutely wrong. Mm. Uh, now I'm on, I was uh, unemployed for the past year and I, I actually was on Medicaid. And now it's, it's uh, you know, the, they, Michigan has privatized that. And now I'm running into situations with, with that uh, insurance uh, where I have uh, uh, prior authorizations that I've never had to uh, answer for before. Uh, I have a, a heart condition, and they are supposed to be taking a, a drug that's rather expensive, but that's been denied from my company by, by the company. Mm. And I'm constantly running into these. So it's it's, it's uh, the, the private health insurance that model, uh, the for-profit health insurance that model is is, is killing us. Yeah. You know, the, the less amount of care they can provide, the more profit they can make. Yeah, and that's, that's where we, you know, I, I like I said, twenty three years in, in EMS, and 10 years working for the for-profit health insurance, I totally support the Medicare for All.
0: Right. I, I, uh, I just don't
5: see the argument, but it would be more
0: uh, David, uh, again, I appreciate the call and, and the wonderful insight. We're getting really great calls today from people who have lots of firsthand experience with uh, these issues. Julie, is, is, he, is he right that government involvement, government management of at least certain parts of the healthcare system doesn't make it more expensive
1: Uh, he is. The other caller was right, too. Sometimes government can be less efficient, but government is definitely less expensive. Um, Sometimes you can government, you know, sometimes private insurance makes you jump through hoops because they don't want to provide services, but sometimes private insurance makes you jump through hoops because they don't want, they want to, you know, curb unnecessary care. You know, it's, it's, health care is really complicated. This is why we've been arguing about it for a hundred years, because this is, and this is what every country is wrestling with is you know the more the more you can do the more it costs i mean we saw this um you know rather dramatically with the hepatitis c drugs a few years ago which you know what a medical miracle we could cure hepatitis c great great news bad news it cost $84,000 uh per patient to cure hepatitis c because it's a private company and they wanted to you know make make their money so it's you know, would we have had the drug if they couldn't have charged $84,000? Could they have maybe charged $20,000? This is the continuing strain about the debate about health care. We want to be able to do more and more. We don't want to – we need to be able to afford it as individuals and as a society, and we don't know how to strike that balance.
0: Mm. Okay. Uh, Julie Rovner, chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser, Kaiser Health News. It's always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. You know so much about this, and I think our callers always respond really enthusiastically when you're when you're on the program. So thank you so much for helping us understand what is going on with the Affordable Care Act.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about health care right here in southeast Michigan and what this planned merger between Beaumont and Spectrum Health will mean for patients and healthcare providers. Dustin Walsh, who covers healthcare for Cranes Detroit Business, will join us next. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.